Hey guys, Joe Bonamassa here. Thank you for joining us live at Nerdville. Today, my very special guest, I'm so supre supremely honored to announce this man as my friend. You know him as a member of Santana. You know him as a member of Journey. He's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, one of the greatest guitar players ever. Ladies and gentlemen, a man who needs no introduction, Mr. Neil Sean. Thank you very much, Neil, for doing this. This is amazing. I'm really honored to have you. Hey, thank you, Joe. It's great to see you, man. Uh, hopefully we can get together and play again soon, but until then, this is kind of cool. I'm getting used to it. <laughs> yeah, one of these days we're going to actually live life in the third dimension. We're actually going to be able to get together as people and, and you know, fraternize, as they say. So, you know, Neil, like, you know, you've always been one of my favorite guitar players, and we've become friends over the last 15 years. And, you know, I one of the things a lot of people don't don't know about you you were you were you were born in oklahoma and and outside of tulsa at, at tinker air force base and your mom and dad were big band singers and arrangers so you had the musical dna and and the bug super early i mean you were you were a prodigy but you also had a family structure that that encouraged that and was into music as well yes i was surrounded by a lot of jazz guys uh, growing up before I, you know, decided to play at all when I was just a little kid, actually, uh, you know, after I was born, my folks uh, quit the service uh, like a year later, and we we uh, uh, traveled to New Jersey, and I grew up there as a kid until we moved out to California, but I remember in the first house that we owned there, growing up, uh, my dad would have, uh, you know, uh, rehearsals. Uh, it was like a small big band, you know, like a couple sax players, a couple trumpet players, a couple trombone, uh, bass and drums, and, and that was it. And they'd read, you know, he wrote all, out all the charts. They did a lot of standards. My mom was actually a really good singer. My dad played tenor sax, but he was uh, an arranger and writer uh, for big band. And right. he got offered a lot of big gigs, and... He never took him. My, my mom used to get really frustrated with him because she was the breadwinner. <laughs> but looked at upon it like it was like, I'm a real artist. I'm a jazz artist. And I don't want to do that thinky shit. Is what he said, you know? Right. And, 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 and so he got offered a lot of TV stuff, work, because he was very talented, but he never took it. And wow. he just kind of sit in his little place. And he had a music store when we moved uh, to California in San Mateo, plus music on right up in uh, 12th Avenue. Uh, and and uh, they would have big band get togethers where I started playing with his big band. Um, I think I was 12 and I was sort of like faking it. Like I could sight read, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been doing that my whole life. I'd be like, Hey, can I hear the music first? You know, but you know, what a lot of people don't know about you is that, um, as, as in the guitar community, we almost lost you to the saxophone and the oboe. You played yeah. oboe and saxophone before you you were you played guitar, and ultimately, you know, like you joined your father's band at twelve, and by age fifteen, you were you were in Santana. That that was you you were you developed quite quickly as a as a as a as a musician and and, a, and as a professional. You know, it was it was like you and many other guitarists. Uh, a lot of my favorite guitars, you know, were, were you know, it was, it, they're blues cats and yeah. 
Albert and Buddy Guy and, you know, Albert Collins and, you know, Helen Wolf and, uh, you know, John Lee Hooker, actually, I played with when I was like 13 here in San Francisco. Right. Amazing. We, we became friends. And, you know, he asked me to come down to the studio at Wally Hyder's one day and record with him. And I recorded with him and he goes, hey, man, he goes, have you ever had any soul food? And I said, I, I don't quite know what you're talking about, sir. And he was like, well, I want you to come over to my house, and my wife's going to cook for you. So I went over to his house, and she cooked this amazing meal. And we sat down, and we talked. And he proceeded to talk to me, try to talk me into quitting high school, which wasn't an issue. It was just that legally I couldn't. And go right. on tour with him. And he's like, I'd love for you to come on tour with me. And I'm like, I'd love to go, but I can't I can't get out of school right now. And I don't right. think Folks are going to let me. But yeah, that's a hard conversation to have, you know, with your parents at that point, you know. It got so bad, though, with me to where my folks, uh, I was not really attending school. After, mm -hmm. you know, I was cutting and um, both my folks work. And so when they send a cut slip, you know, to your mailbox every day, right. I'd go and I'd be like hanging out with my friends playing in the garage with the garage bands I had going on down yeah. there. And I wouldn't be going to school. And and then when the mail came, I'd go to the mailbox and I'd take the cut slips out and I'd go back to doing what I was doing. Right. But, um, you know, I met, uh, I ended up in a band uh, down in the Bay Area uh, called Old Davis. And um, you might know Nine Year Woodridge. Do you know him? I've heard, yeah, I've heard the name. Yeah. He's around Nashville and yeah. he's been, you know, a tour manager and a good friend of mine, but he was a bass player. Yeah. And he was called Old Davis, and they were actually very cool. It was kind of like uh, the band, you know, uh, meets some country and R&B blues. Right. And I didn't know where I fit into that genre at that time, but they took me in. And so they were like the biggest band in the Bay Area, and I was playing down at a club uh, called the Poppycock in, in Palo Alto. Uh, one night, and nine year, the bass player knew Greg Raleigh and Michael Shreve. And so right. they they were in the audience. I had really no clue who they were, except he says, oh, this guy's playing Santana. And I really didn't know much about Santana. Uh, I had seen him up at the College of uh, uh, San Mateo, right. you know, at the top of the hill, and he played in a gymnasium, and I couldn't hear a damn thing. It was right. just all echo, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I go, well, they're pretty interesting. They have all kinds of stuff going on and different than anything I'd heard before. You know, so uh, Greg and I, uh, they hung out afterwards after the club closed. And we ended up, the uh, club owner let us jam to like about four or five in the morning. And then I became really close friends with Greg Raleigh. And, right. uh, you know, one thing led to another. And you were, you were how old at this point? 15, 16? I was like uh, 15. So, you know, like one of the things that always astounded me like about your career is, is, is the depth of music that you've made with the types of artists you've made it with. Like, not, you know, you're known as the guitar player from Journey with, with a, a, a song list of hits that, that nobody has. But, you know, you also play with Larry Graham and Betty Davis. You know, yeah. you also play with Jan Hammer and Lenny White. And, you know, and, you know, and all these like really, I, I mean, one of my favorite solos you did was on um, the Carlos Santana, Buddy Miles record. And you guys were covering, you know, you, you covered John McLaughlin, you know, and it was just right. one of those 
thing, you know, and it was just, you know, marbles, you know, and, and basically, <laughs> you know, basically, you know, we, we, we think about it because the opening song of that record, you can hear you, the, you had snippets of that phrasing already when you were 15, you know, like that very melodic, like almost you take, you know, I always love about your soul is like you, you take the, you take the place of the lead vocalist and, and it's a, it's another vocal, it's another hook. And you had that. What was it like? Did the, you think that ultimately having that, that, that palette of music to, to, to discover and be around, do you think that helped you as a writer? Do you think that helped you as, as, as an artist just, you know, in, in general? Absolutely. I mean, you know, music is like uh, the universal language. And I think the more that you can soak in, to me, it's either good or it's bad, you know, right. and it doesn't matter what genre it's in. It's just what, you know, appeals to you and, and rubs off. I mean, you know, I, I would say that seriously, um, if we had more time to sit together, I'm sure the same thing goes with you. Right. Uh, you're playing in uh, all your abilities and, and able to play so many different styles of music that you've accumulated throughout all these years and the people that have, you know, touched you, you know? Right. And um, so I, I look at it, it's like Cajun soup, man. It's like the more you can pull in and really when, when I, it's interesting you brought up uh, Larry Graham uh, because I was at uh, CBS Studios at the time and we were working on uh, my first album, but the Santana uh, number three record, uh, the third record, um, and Larry was down the hall with Sly, right? Trying to do something down the hall, and I would run into those guys every day. And then Larry came in and he heard um, something that I played, and we started talking, and we became friends. And ever since then, you know, we 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 started. Uh, hanging a bit, he invited me to his place in Oakland, where I started hanging out in Oakland with Freddie Stone, with Larry, right. and I got, you know, I got, I got the treatment, man. It's right. like I, I learned kind of ass backwards, Joe. I learned how to play lead before rhythm, you right. know. And I'm still kind of like that. Everybody goes, yeah. Do you know any chords? And I go, Well, yeah, I know chords, but if I'm gonna sit on Instagram, I don't want to sit there and play chords. Or, right. Know? It's <laughs> how practice, man. Right. You know? They're like, well, it all sounds the same. And I go, well, thank you, man. It's because, you know, at least you you can, you know, understand and, and know that it's me when I'm playing. You think they ever said that to B.B. King? Hey, man, yeah. all your solos sound the same. Or to Carlos Santana? You know, I, Clapton, yeah. I used to try to make everything sound different in every song. Yeah. And my manager said to me, I don't know what you're doing that for, man. You think, you think that B.B. worries about that or anybody does? And I went, that like stuck in my head. And I went, yeah, who cares? Who, who cares? Right. Who cares? I have a question for you. Um, speaking of your early pre, this is all pre-journey at this point, or it's kind of crossfades. True or false? Eric Clapton asked you to join Derek and the Dominoes. True. Wow. Why and, did you turn him down? Um, well, it was really crazy. You know, I didn't really recall what my ex-manager recalled, and I saw a program on Reels the other night, mm -hmm. that was a documentary on us that he was in a lot. Her right. And right. he was telling the story about Clapton coming into Wally Hyder's while I was jamming with, with Santana. We were coming up with material. 
or the record that I was about to be on. And I didn't even know at that time that I was about to be in the band, but they would always invite me to the studio to hang right. out. And so we're in there jamming in the wee hours of the morning and in walks Eric. And he, you know, I was like, the job was kind of like, I was like a shy little kid. And right. I was shocked because he was, you know, a mentor to me, a major mentor of how I learned how to play by listening right. to, you know, all his records and slowing the stuff down, speeding it up and just leaving the arm up on the record player, you know, and sleeping yeah. with the arm basically. But he sat down and we played for a couple hours and then he got up and he said, I got to get out of here. I got a show tomorrow at Berkeley. And I was just like astounded, you know, and couldn't yeah. believe went down, even though I never even talked to him, you know. Right. And then I went into the studio the next day and there was a note from him that he wanted me to come by Berkeley and jam with him at, with Derek and the Dominos. And um, so I got a ride over there by somebody that was very nice, just gave me a ride. I didn't have a car, a driver's license. Right. And I walked in and Herbie Herbert was already over there. His story says, and he didn't know I was coming. Um, you know, I had gotten asked by Santana that day to join the band. Right. Uh, that day that he had asked me to go in, right before right. I went in to meet him. And so, um, Eric, Eric, uh, I went in backstage about 10 minutes before they went on. And um, Eric said, well, I'm, I'm really glad you came. Um, I'm, I'm, I really want to jam and I would love for you to, to, to you know, uh, be in the band. And I, I was like, Herbie says that I said, I don't remember, you know, exactly like this. But he says that I said, oh, well, I'd love to, but I just got asked to be in Santana, you know. <laughs> and then he claims that he took me outside and had his name, his, he handed around my throat and right. saying, my little mother. You know, he says they didn't need to do that. And I said, go ahead, call. I go, call Raleigh up. Ask him yeah. if they And he did. He goes, sure enough, they did. So. Wow. But it was funny. I want, he goes, well, what would you like to play? And I said, well, I'd like to play the whole night. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so he got a laugh out of that. And he says, I'll tell you what. He says, let me talk to the band uh, for a second and I'll come back to you. And I, I moved out of the room and went and talked to Herbie and he wanted to kill me <laughs> for saying that Santana asked me. And, and um, I, I came back in and he says, um, I'll tell you what, I'm, we're going to play like seven, eight songs. And I'm going to introduce you as a good friend. And you just come on stage and play the whole rest of the show with us. Now, oh, what I can't believe is I can't find nobody ever took a picture, right, of that. Right. There's a really crappy recording that someone found that you right. can it's barely audible, you know. But uh, I was like, just one picture, man. I would love right. to And it just does not exist. It, there was a point. There was a point in time in concerts where there was a happy medium. Now, everything you do, from the minute you walk on the stage to the minute you take the final bow, somebody's going to archive that on their phone. They're going to sit there and get carpal tunnel and hold it up and, or you know, whatever. And back in the sixties, early seventies, nobody took pictures. You know, right. they were there. They were there just to watch. They were there to experience. And you know, sometimes between eighty-five and ninety-five, it kind of was a good balance. You get some photos and people watch. You know, it, I mean, just that's astounding to me, Neil. That that in the scope of a, just a couple of years, you were asked to join John Lee Hooker's band. You were asked to join Derek and Downs, and ultimately join Santana. How long? How long were you in Santana? I was in Santana close to two years. 
Okay. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it was 70, at the end of 72, um, and we had done two, two albums. You know, we did uh, the, the third Santana record and Caravan Sarai, where that right. started disbanding uh, because of the direction. And, you know, Carlos wanted to go in more of a, you know, uh, jazzy place that right. he had. And Raleigh and I kind of wanted to continue in the vein that the third record was. And, um, in, and but, you know, toured the world with these guys. It was such an experience, you know, to go to all the different countries. I mean, I, oh, just, yeah. I was like still in high school and I'm in Ghana, Africa. I'm, I'm everywhere, man. And yeah. it was quite a, a, an experience. And they were great, man. Great. I'm, I'm lucky to be alive. I'm definitely <laughs> a survivor. And times that I'll never forget, you know, really great times. And Carlos and I remain to be like best friends. And so That's he's, great. Talk, he's been talking to me about doing a record with him right now, uh, a Sonny Chirac record. And he wants to use Sonny Chirac's band. And so uh, he sent me all his music, and I'm I'm aware of him and listened to it before, but I'm going to start digging into it a little deeper in case it does go down. Because uh, I think we're going to have a little more time on our hands here at home. Yeah, Every, everybody's everybody's got time. So yeah. you know when after after Santana, um, Herbie Herbert, you, you you mentioned you know basically it was you and Greg and you know and. and how many, how, what, if I was to hire the Golden Gate rhythm section, how much would you have charged me to do a record? Probably not much. <laughs> right? Because, because, because you guys rolled as a, you guys rolled it as a, as a team to record and back, back artists up before, quote, journey started. It was, you know, Herbie had approached me. He was, um, so he was, you know, being a, a, a road crew member of Santana. He was right. Carl his tech he became my tech but he also they had a very dysfunctional manager uh that was very you know heavily drug related problems right uh, so herbie was kind of picking up the pieces and trying to manage the band and mix out in front and do the monitors he was like everywhere and when the band disbanded herbie you know he contacted me directly and he said i've decided that i'm going to become a manager and he started a management company called Weed High Nightmare Music. <laughs> okay. And it was with a partner, Lou Bramey. And Herbie had contacted me first. And he said, I want to manage you and I want to wrap a band around you. And so that was the beginning. And, and then the second person I met that he wanted to introduce me to was Ross Valerie. Right. And then George Tickner. And then actually Greg came in uh, later. You right. know, and I had known, I had seen the tubes and I loved Prairie Prince's drumming. There was right. something to it that I just really dug. It was like on the backside and it was fat back, you know, and rocky. Yeah. Kind of Mitch Mitchell, you know, right. but loose and, and tight at the same time. Right. And I, I think that chemistry will really work with us. And so we went in the studio, we went into Wally Hyder's after we uh, put together a demo of songs and cut them and that became our first record yeah you know, we ended up recutting everything uh with ainsley dunbar because prairie uh 
you know, was really, you know, very in the tubes and was not willing to, to leave. But right. that was our first record in, and, uh, you know, the beginning of journey. And then, yeah. And, and Greg was the singer. Greg was a singer. It was Greg. And, yeah. And it was very much, you know, like the, those first Journey records are very much in the vein of, of, like you said, where you left off with with Santana, you know, groove oriented, you know, rock, blues and, you know, soul, everything kind of mixed in. And um, when did you guys consciously decide or maybe you didn't um, to to kind of move more of a more of a vocal direction? You know, not that not not that I'm saying that Greg's not a Greg Z, he's a fantastic singer, but you know, layering of the harmonies, big hooks, you know, big choruses, and more of a let's just say pop pop sound. You know, it it wasn't something that, to be completely honest, because it's out there anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg and I wanted to continue in the vein that we were doing. And we felt that we were becoming successful. You know, we we had Joe, we had played with everyone. I kid you not, from Kiss, right, to Emerson, Lake and Palmer to Cheech and Chong. Okay, That's great. We're open for Cheech and Chong. Okay, <laughs> and and we played every every you know theater you can imagine with every band you can imagine, and it was really rough tough long road the three years that we did in the beginning yeah we're traveling around in two station wagons with like 10 guys shoved in each station wagon and ainsley would be driving and he'd have his fuzz buster on and right. you know raleigh say ainsley pull over man I, I need to take a piss and, and ainsley would go sorry mate got to get there that's <laughs> great and a full half fight would break out you know but but we would drive for hours just to get to the gig, to jump out of the car and jump on stage and then drive to the next gig. Right. And you know, the audiences didn't know what to think of us. We actually played with Ma Vishnu. Wow. Uh, after Anarda had become the drummer mm-hmm. and did very well with, with his audience, with John McLaughlin's audience. Then we met Leonard Skinner. When we met Skinner, that completely opened up for us were the original band uh priesty perry we were playing in front of huge audiences and we were getting three major encores i mean like ripped down the house encore right. stomping the floor and people going nuts in front of skinner and i went wow. everybody i went man finally we found the niche you know and it kind of made the yeah guitar oriented jamming band you know, and right. and and so I had high hopes to continue uh, in that that vein. But Herbie, you know, wanted to sell some records. We, you know, had sold. I think we sold one hundred and ten thousand records in our first record, right. the Journey record. Then the second one went down to ninety, and then the third one went down to sixty-five or something. And it right. was declining instead of getting bigger. And so. Sony or uh, CBS at that time had, you know, threatened they were going to drop us uh, if we didn't, you know, get another lead point vocalist uh, and be able to get on to the radio to right. brought our audience. Right. Um, and and so um, I had met Steve Perry years ago 
and didn't even know um, who he was. He was a friend of, of Jackie Villanueva, who was in our, our road crew. And Jackie is the guy that actually founded me in the Bay Area and brought me up to the city and introduced right. Alvin Bishop and all the club owners before any, you know, I got introduced to Santana or any of this. And, you know, I go sit in with Alvin Bishop and, you know, Alvin brought me to meet BB at the Fillmore West and I played right. with BB and met Bill Graham. But, you know, it, it's, it, it all was like this long cycle of people that were put together uh, and, and connected from Santana into Journey. But, you know, Steve uh, Perry came in. We, we, we agreed, you know, to meet with him. And, uh, but I had given Steve a ride. Okay, I was playing with Azteca, who was a spinoff of Santana Band. Right. Uh, I did one record with them. I think I played on two tracks uh, with the Escobedo Brothers in San Francisco. And it was kind of like a mixture of Latin, African, rock with, right. with all kinds of stuff, you know. Uh, and it was too many people in a band. I think there were 30 people in the band. So it's, but I, it's, it's a big payroll, you know. <laughs> I, I, I made, you know, I did make one gig and I played at the Kabuki Theater. And that's where Jackie asked me to give. He introduced me to Steve. Steve, right. I didn't say anything about him being a singer. He says, can you give my friend a ride up to his car after the gig? So I loaded my twin, I loaded my guitar and said, sure, I'll give him a ride. So I gave him a ride to the car, said, hi, nice to meet you. See you later. And then we were playing down in L.A. years later at, at the Roxy or someplace like that. I can't remember. Uh, one of those clubs off of Hollywood Boulevard. And Perry came backstage and he says, hey, you remember me? Give me a ride. And I go, yeah. And he goes, he goes, I'm a singer. And I go, yeah, that's that's really good. That's awesome. But we have a singer. We don't need a singer. Right, right. <laughs> so it was this whole long duration of like two three years that right. i met him and didn't really know who he was and then you know a demo showed up that cbs had sent to herbie and we right. checked him out and and i was like on i you know i've never written for a singer in my life and like a you know i mean not yeah. that greg wasn't a real singer but it was in a different vein it's so a different I, style of music of, yeah I didn't know what was going to come out. So Herbie brought him out uh, to Denver, Colorado. And we're sitting upstairs in a room. And uh, I had an acoustic guitar. And I had, you know, these chords, you know, that I had written for Patiently, a song that was on uh, the Infinity record. And Perry, he just started singing. And within 20 minutes, we had that song. And, and then the same happened with Lights. And so I was like, oh, I guess we have chemistry. You know, right? Yeah. So you know, like just just uh, thank you again for having me as a guest um, at Caesar's Palace last year. It was a, it was a thrill. I just remember showing up for sound check and seeing the set list taped to the floor, and yeah. the titles took. I mean, literally took my breath away because I was like, "Oh my God! Look at this set list! Look at these songs!" Just so wheel in the sky, don't stop believing. Faithfully, separate ways, open arms, any way you want. Love and touch and squeezing, uh, sque squeezing lights. Um, Stone in Love, which is one of my personal favorites. I love the solo break on that. I spent many hours rewinding the tape and jamming along. And I don't have that perspective, nor will I ever 
in my life. What's it like to go out there and, and present a body of work like that to thousands and thousands of people who will literally sing every word back, sing every guitar solo back, and have literally been changed by that by the by a song they got married to open arms they got you know they their first date was you know you know separate ways was on the radio when they had their first kiss there's, there's like there's got to be a million stories like that what's it like knowing that you were right in the middle of all that and changing a generation well you know this many years looking back at it now i mean i don't think i could have ever imagined that it was stand through the test of time and be etched in stone as it is in people's hearts, right? Yeah. You know, they'd have so many great stories to go along with it to where they cherish it. And, you know, I get like, you know, like mail all the time and people write all the time and they're like, you know, wow, you know, I was in a hospital. I was not feeling good. Cancer patients, all kinds of stuff where they go and we feel like the music saved me, you know, and I'm right. like, this is like incredible, you know, and, and I, I mean, I think that, you know, our fans are like the best in the world. You know, we, we never have anything weird happening at our shows. There's never really any violence. It's just people wanting to have a good time. And I think, you know, we're continuing in that vein with a lot of the new stuff we're writing right now. We want to lift, lift everybody yeah. to right. feel and, you know, uh, not take everybody down. And be pissed off with the world, but lift everybody, make them feel good because music is the savior, man. I think it's the ultimate medicine for anyone when when you touch their heart and you make them, you know, feel good for whatever reason. Yeah, and and you know they just it's a sound, it's a it's a way of it's a way of presenting a song and, and a, a lyric and a mean it it just means something. Here's a here's a question that I, I've asked um, a few people that have multiple hits, like you have hundreds of them. But um, one of the things that I get asked sometimes is, do you ever get sick of playing like the Ballad of John Henry or Slow Gin or Mountain Time or any of the songs that I'm best known for? And I go, not at all. I said, sometimes I'll change the, the arrangements a little bit just to kind of give it a B12 shot. Um, but I'm honored that anybody you know, has, has, you know, has, has, you know, taken the time to listen to my stuff. I mean, you guys have an hour and a half, two hour set list of all number one hits. Does it ever get to the point where you go, maybe we should change these versions, but just for ourselves, you know, to keep it kind of keep it fresh for the band. Or is it just one of those things you, you, you let the crowd take it and the energy in the room is just, you, you, you know, it's just that inertia just works. You know, I mean, you saw, um, you know, one of our last shows that, that yeah. we did that with that lineup, that yeah. particular lineup. Um, I'm going to say that that uh, at that point, I was ready to really spend some time with the guys and go into a rehearsal rather than a one-day rehearsal just to brush up and play right. the same set, right? We got yeah. great songs. Yeah, nobody's denying that. But as you said, you know, you have to... I, I, I believe in... Uh, rearranging things a little bit sometimes, adding some little bits and pieces in between. Right. Even if you don't change up the song completely, and but now I believe you know with Nardi and Randy, we're, we're going to be doing that automatically. 
you right. know, with, and we will be getting double B12 shots. <laughs> right. So tell the, and, tell the folks, tell, tell the folks the, uh, the, the, well, we'll call it the 2020, 2021 journey lineup. Who, who, who's, uh, who's in the band now? Okay. Well, it's, it's myself. That's the only one that's actually been here since the very beginning. The very, every show that we ever played, never missed a show. Uh, on every recording we've ever done and done all the miles. Right. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Kane, who's been here for a long time, uh, great, uh, you know, friend and writing partner. We're back in it. Him and I have the juices flowing. We're writing like unbelievable stuff right now. Yeah. And I'm excited about that uh, because for a while there was just a shutdown and there was nothing yeah. going on. But him and I are really clicking again. And even right. though we haven't been, room is happening and so in arnell uh is with us and he's singing really well and we just sent him a track that he's going to be putting a vocal on and we should have a single out soon actually by the end of next month possibly we'd have a new song out and we're working on a whole album but we now have randy jackson right uh, on bass the great randy Uh, jackson who's been in the band before he's been in the band before when Steve Perry, you know, fired Ross and and um, uh, Steve Smith before before Raised on Radio, Randy was in the band and did that tour with us uh, before we didn't finish the tour. Uh, but you know, Randy fits like a glove. He's an amazing person. Sings his ass off too. Yes. You know, it's great to have that vocal power. Uh, and Narda Michael Walden is like Joe. We laid down something yesterday. I swear to God, I'm going to send you just the rough. When we get off here, yeah, and gonna go, holy shit, because yeah. it's like, man, it sounds so good, and it's just him and I, right? Because Randy's not around; he's in LA. Everybody else is in a different place right now. But yeah. I, said, I go, Narda. I said, you and I, I think, really should work. Like I used to work with 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 Steve, yeah, uh, and and. You know, I did the two solo records with Smith. The last solo records I did where I just did, built everything off of drums and guitar. Right. And I played bass, and then, you know, whoever played bass later would come in and do it. Yeah. Uh, and so we're doing that. And yesterday I came up with something that is so rocking. And it, it sounds like it sounds like New Journey. Definitely. Um. I'm excited to get Arnell on it and get Jonathan's take on it. But, you know, I've been sending so much music to all the guys mm-hmm. and writing like a demon, man. I've been taking advantage of the time uh, since we had to, of being off. Uh, right. and this is not one of, you know, this is just a, a, a little funky Les Paul that I, I like the, the sound of it that I got from Bananas here in the Bay Area. That's a legendary <laughs> store. So uh, I have a question for you. Uh, how'd you meet Jonathan? Now that we're talking about the lineup, John's been there since what, 78, 79? Jonathan Kane, uh, I'm, I met uh, while uh, Babies, the, the band The Babies, right. which Ricky Phillips and Tony and, and, and Jonathan uh, opened up for Journey many, many right. times. We did a couple tours together, and I used to sit and, and I'd watch Jonathan from a side of the stage and I dug the fact that he was really a, a band player and he was kind of like the guy that held all the glue together. Then right. I was also 
heard that he was like a great songwriter. Yeah. And and then I really liked the fact that he played rhythm guitar. Yeah. Like you know, that opens up a lot of stuff that we can do. You know, that's different uh, to get him off keys and get him on guitar, which you know, Stone of Love came from, and you right. know, all this. Stuff. And so, um, him and I began hanging out on tour, and we go to clubs afterwards and sit in. I got to know the guy. And that is it just kind of when Greg, you know, had decided he'd had enough of touring and he wanted to get off tour. He wanted to have a family and yeah. just sort of chill out. Jonathan was my first choice. Right. Um, and I, I, I spoke up and I said that and most everybody agreed with me. Yeah, he's, he's a wonderful song. I've, I've written songs with him and, and, uh, we're de facto neighbors in, in Nashville and, and uh, yeah, he's, he's just a wonderful town. Speaking of like, like side projects, you, you were in a band called bad English with Jonathan, Dean Castronovo, John Waite, Ricky Phillips and yourself. And um, you know, that was, that was an offshoot and it was kind of some of the baby, some of the journey. And it was, and and that was a, a, a fun, great band. I remember seeing the videos on MTV back in like 86 or 87, if my memory serves me correctly. And it was, it was, it was a great band. And it was a truly like, to me, like sometimes super groups work and sometimes they don't, but that one actually worked and it worked great. You know, it was a, a real powerhouse lineup of different musicians, all bringing their best stuff. Some of the deep tracks on the two records that we did were my favorites, mm-hmm. you know, aren't necessarily the the singles right and at that point you know that's what pretty much you know broke up that band as well as that we weren't making any money with the management right. we're with, right. you know uh and but it was a good band and you know i was looking forward to moving forward with that band and and writing you know i had talked to john Waite many times about the direction and you know, I saw that band as kind of being, uh, you know, uh, like like Jeff Beck's first band, The Truth, with Rod Stewart. Yeah. You know, I loved uh, John Wade's vocals and his bluesy, you know, thing that he yeah. conveyed in poetry, all kind of mixed in one. I mean, he's a monster at that. Monster, and, yeah. And I love the small, you know, the faces, yeah. you know, with Ron Wood and, and Stewart. And I kind of saw that kind of combination in bad English with, with you know, uh, addition to everything else that we were writing. Uh, it was a powerful band, but, you know, I love the blues, you know, right. thing that surrounded that, the rock and blues thing. And we were, like, strong and powerful live, too, man. Uh, a- it just never lived that long to see the day of light, you know, beyond the right. record. right. Right. So before we wrap up, tell me about Neil Sean, the guitar collector, because because we all it's your we, it's your fault. See, I don't want to take I don't I, I'll take some of some of the, the responsibility, not all of it. Um, you know, everybody knows that we, we collect guitars and, and it's it's a it's a passion. It's just a thing. Talk to me about like. Like, why did you decide at the, at some point going, you know what, I'm going to, I'm, cause you have amazing collection of guitars. Like, like when, when you decide like, okay, it's time for me to kind of revisit some of these old instruments and, and, and see, you know, see what's in them. You know, 
you you actually gave me the bug. No, I mean I'm being uh -huh. completely. And Sorry. for that, you know, I had a nice collection of guitars, but I didn't really have a lot of old guitars. Right. I had my first laptop that was actually just, uh, you know, a reproduced 68 gold right. top yeah. that I bought back then that I used in Santana. Uh, and I had, you know, the old um, custom triple pickup that I used a lot in those days. And I had sold that because it actually... It wasn't that great of a sounding guitar, you know. Right. It was a guitar, but my yeah. gold sounded better, you know. Right. So, what are you going to do? Play something that look cool or something that actually sounds cool, you right. know? Exactly. You know, strats are strats. You know, it's a piece of wood, and you know, right. it's in your fingers, like he said. And so, some some sound better than others because it just vibrates right. Um, and so, I had you know a nice collection of guitars, uh, but. You know, uh, when it, when I was following you and I started, you know, checking out all your guitars, I was kind of like, you know, this is really, and, and then learned so much from you and Mike Hickey, right, right yeah. you know, about what they're worth and, and, you know, how it's actually a really great investment. I'd never looked at it like that before. And right now, I'm really happy that I did yeah. uh, best in what I've invested in. Because everything is going up again, you know, and yeah, it's you know, you know, my criteria for collecting is always there are certain things that that I collect that are just because I'm custodian of history. This thing is like the guitar I showed you before we started the interview. It is it, it's a 1959 ES 345. I would describe it as new condition. Like, I don't have the heart to take it out on stage and sweat all over it and beat it up because it's been. I'll leave it at home and play it, you know, just in front of the TV or I'll write a song on it. My, you know, but then there's the guitars that I play live that are that are not mint condition. And sometimes I just find myself disassociating. I, I'm not looking at a 1960 whatever. I'm just looking at a good guitar, you know, and, 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 you know, a good instrument. It's, it's like a screwdriver. I need a Phillips head for this one and I need a flathead for that. And that's just different strat, telly, whatever. What? Which, um, if you were to say pick a guitar to do, if we were like, I know this is a cliche question, but it, but it, for a collector, it's a, it's a good and a player of your stature, it's a good one. Is if you, what's, can you do a journey gig start to finish on one instrument? Absolutely. And what would that be? Um, right now, I would probably um, uh, use a strat. Strat. Strat, yeah. Uh, but something with, with, you know, no hum in the back, probably a humbucker in the back, right. you know, probably route it out instead of stick a humbucker in the back. But, you know, some of the new Fender stuff, like I, I, when you just said that, the first thing that stuck in my mind is when uh, uh, we played a, a Christmas show in Nashville last year for Scott Hamilton. And right. it was Jonathan, myself, and Jason, a new member also of the New Journey Band and Jason yeah. happened to be singing lead vocals that night. Right. And we used uh, studio musicians from Nashville, and right. I, I brought a new candy blue uh, Fender because it was the only thing I had that could travel under the plane and yeah. that I didn't worry about. Right. It's got a push pull on the knob to, to go from single coil to double coil, and I didn't set it up, man. And I listened and I played through a Kemper, right, right. through the PA. And when I heard it back, I was like, 
holy shit, that sounds like insanely good. And so I'm like, you know, yeah, it's in the hands. Everybody's going to say it again, you know. I got, okay, you got all these guitars. Let me hear you play a silver tone. It's going to sound the same. Yeah. Yeah, because it's you know it's it's funny because like you know thinking about your the catalog you know like like when I saw, saw the show last year, you 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 know when you played lights you have I mean that that tone you got on the recording to me is one of the finest Strat front pickup sounds I mean I loved it you know and I'm like it, it really influenced me like as a as a as a Fender guy going wow that's like a killer. Front, it's like the epitome of that, and you and you nailed it live, you know, because it's be one it'd be one thing if you went out there with like an L5 or a jazz box and tried to play that song. The guitar geeks would be like, no, no, that's a strat, you know. So it's 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 interesting because I'm the same way. I think a strat set up a prop, you know, properly can it really is the ultimate Ginzu knife because you can you can get them to sound like dark and like a like a les paul but they also will rip your face off if you need it you know treble and they have a lot of varying sounds i love the thing i love about strats too is you know um i don't play through a lot of boxes you know and right. you're gonna be happy next time you see me actually you've rubbed off on me a lot man a oh, lot God. of artists <laughs> uh but but you know i've acquired some new amplifiers right and um I'm digging this. Uh, I don't know if you checked it out, but uh, there's there's a Waza. Have you seen that power alternator that Roland makes? No. Okay, check it out, Joe. Yeah. It, it, it's pretty mind-boggling, man. And, you know, I didn't really believe in the power alternators all these years because everything I, I checked out sort of sound like, okay, so you take a 100-watt plexi and you crank it up to eight or whatever, and then you soak it down and it, it feels like that. Yeah, you know, it does. right. There's no punch, and you don't. The quickness goes away when right. you hit the. It's not there. This thing works impeccably, and and it's got every built-in roll-in effect in it. But right. it doesn't go. It does not go in the effects loop. It's made for older heads, so it's it's set up to where it's you can pull the power down. And it feels and sounds exactly the same, but the effects are on the other side, going before the speaker right. ahead, and it works amazingly well. So I ordered like four uh, fifty-nine uh, plexi stacks, hand wired, right? right. And wired a new uh, high wire is just getting back on the map, which I used in the eighties and all our biggest records, yeah. but high wire. And I and I just got a head from Alan Rosen from Bananas at Large, killer uh, right now. And he brought it to Narda's studio the other day, and I plugged in it, and I was like, "Wow, that sounds like the real deal." And That's so, great. Um, being able to pull, I you know I can't deal with the volume. <laughs> and, you know, I love the thunder of the guitar, but I got to work off the PA anymore because I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I've been threatening to turn down for years. It's just I, I I'm I'm addicted to the volume and 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 I'm addicted to the I'm addicted to the way that guitar reacts when you have all four amps running and I I need to turn down because I find myself going what what yeah <laughs> it's just because I'm just you know whatever anyway Neil again I'm so honored that you did this and. Literally, I mean, 
not only one of my best buddies, and and I just wanted to tell folks, one of the things that they don't know is three years ago I had bronchitis on the road, and I posted a picture of me with a nebulizer in Iowa. I was actually on the way to buy a guitar. It, that's, yeah. how, that's how crazy I am. I was, I, I, we're doing the show, which I should have canceled because I was so sick, but because there was a 69 maple cap Olympic white Strat at the shop, we went. Anyway, long story. And you were the first person to text me to make sure I was okay. And I'll never forget that, you know, and, and I'm honored to call you my friend and I'm honored that, that you did this today. So thank, thank you so much. And, you know, thanks for what you do for the guitar community. You keep it interesting. You keep it, keep it fresh and new and you have such a joy for music, you know? Thank you, Joe. I love you, man. And, no. you know, having had um, double pneumonia myself before and I had to finish a tour like that and I had yeah. to tell you on that, I was like, well, man, do not mess around because yeah. go away for life, you know, if you do not take care of it. And yeah. So and I was scared myself from my own life. And so right. going through that, especially when you're on tour, you know, I went against doctor's orders. Both my lungs were full. And I had a whole second half of the tour to do. And all the doctors said, don't do it. And I said, I can't do that to the band. And I can't do it to the other bands that are opening up. And so, man, I was on Nebulizer for about a year and a half. Wow. And all the heaviest antibiotics and all that. And, man, it took forever to get off that stuff. But I finally got rid of it and knock on wood. Been healthy ever since. Yeah, it was the same way with me. It took it took eight months before I felt right, and it, and I did it. I, I stayed out there for the same reason. I didn't want to disappoint the fans. I didn't want to disappoint my band and the crew. But I was that was as that was as low as I've been in a long time. Anyway, anyway tell me about that guitar. Okay, this is just this is a like a little pro. I put a different cover on it. Yeah, <laughs> off another guitar. But this is just a, a cool little stock. Uh, Gibson Pro, new Gibson Pro with push tone knobs like the Jimmy Page thing. Right. Uh, and it sounds really good, man. I mean, and it's not really, um, you know, it's not super cheap, but it's not all that expensive either. Right. And just, you know, like we're talking, it's just a decent guitar that has a lot of different sound qualities in it. And right. I want to right. this to you guys today in a foundation in hopes that you can raise even more money. You're Thank doing you. Ah. Thanks. Yeah, we, we, we've been raising money for our Fueling Musicians program, and we've I think we've already given away 50 packages, and we're, we're doing 25 a week, and, and it's all in a lottery system, so, you know, everybody has a fair shot because there's hundreds of people to sign up, so thank you very much. It's going to help a lot. It's going it's, you know, to get a band back out there, at least through their first gig, and, you know, maybe pay for some, you know, hotels and, and everything, and it's going to be really great. Thanks, Neil, and thank you for doing this. Forget about the trolls, man. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm done with the trolls. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, what can I say? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member, Oklahoma Mus Music Hall of Fame member, legendary, the iconic Neil Sean. Thank you very much for doing this, man. I love you, and, and, and it means the world to me. And please, please uh, say hello to Mikel and, 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 and everybody in the camp for me because it's uh, Guys, you guys are top notch. Take care. We keep, we hope to see you soon in Nashville. Thank you. All right. Cheers, guys. Thank you for watching. This has been live at Nerdville. My special guest, Neil Sean.